0: This is Thanksgiving week, and we're preaching an Easter message. So if you would take your Bibles, please, this morning to the book of John again. John chapter 19, beginning with verse number 38. This is where we really left off last week. We have now the burial of our Savior. The focus of today's message is the resurrection of Christ. The crucified Christ was buried and three days later rose again from the grave. At Pentecost, Peter stated, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He's explaining why the Holy Spirit uh, was coming here on the day of Pentecost. Jesus rose again, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. This is Acts chapter 2, verses 32 and 33. Peter then explained that although the purpose of God allowed the Jews to put Jesus to death at the hands of the Roman executioners, the sinless nature of the Son of God forbade that he should remain in death's grip. So we read there in verse 24 of Acts 2, God raised him up, loosing the pain pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Wow. Scripture cannot be broken. For David... Had also prophesied there in Psalm sixteen nine and ten, which Peter quotes. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to to Hades or the grave, or let your holy one see corruption. That's why the spices were were brought. To uh, I'm seventy five pounds worth. That's a lot of that's a lot of spice. And they would put it underneath the body and on on top of the body and in the clothes that were used to wrap the body so that when the corruption took place, it would not be so offensive. They didn't have to worry about that with Jesus. It's very clear here, your Holy One will not see corruption. So Jesus' cross work was the only way back to the Father. He had to die. He saw that this morning there at the table in Genesis 3.15. He had to die. Because that's the only way back to the Father. And by it, God then could remit the sins of His people. He poured His wrath out on Christ because Christ took our sins in His own body on the tree. And then Jesus suffered our penalty. God did not withhold the, His wrath. It was not let up one bit. It was not, it was not reserved in, in, in any way, shape, or form, but poured out with Him without beyond measure. But the resurrection was also vitally necessary to our salvation. If Jesus Christ is not risen, Paul said here, if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile. And you're still in your sins. Because if Christ remained in the, in the grave, it would be an indication that God did not accept the sacrifice of Jesus. Think about that. All throughout the Israel's history, there were sacrifices of animals made. Not one of those lambs slain Ever came back to life. And that should have told the offerers. While God may be forgiving you now. You are not truly forgiven yet. But when the Lamb of God. The Passover Lamb was slain for us. He came back to life. And that was God's way of saying, it's all good. I'm fully satisfied. So Paul continues, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 17 and 20. Christ could not remain in the grave because he successfully conquered death. Which is the wages of sin? God said, You touch, you eat of that tree, you will surely die. They ate of the tree and they died. They died spiritually, immediately, and they eventually died spir- uh, physically. But Jesus conquered death. For we read there in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 22 and 23 for as in Adam all die we are Adam's offspring we are under the curse of Adam's sin so in Adam all die it's appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment every human being dies we have cemeteries all over the place as a constant reminder to us That men die. Every time we pick up the paper. We read the obituaries. Oh. Here's another friend. Here's another acquaintance. Here's another person. A loved one. Who has passed on. But Jesus rose from the grave. So we read there. "In In Adam all die. So also in Christ. Shall all be made alive. Each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. That's our hope. When Jesus Christ comes back, Paul said, we who are alive and remain will not prevent those who are falling asleep in Jesus. But the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and survive shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the earth. So shall we ever be with the Lord. I'm looking forward to that day. The resurrection was the Father's vindication of Christ and proof that His work of obedience was fully accepted. So the resurrection here is also the path of our glorification for all who are transformed in Christ uh, that is, all who have been purchased by Christ will... I mean, He just didn't save you to, to leave you in the mess that you're in right now. He saved you to glorify you. To change you thoroughly and completely. It's not simply to forgive sins of, of the sinner, but to restore the sinner to holiness. Holiness what Adam was before the fall. But more than that. But far more than that. God intends to renovate his creation. And then populate it with these redeemed people. Living in holiness before him. That's going to be glorious. Then the resurrection is implied there in Genesis 3.15. Bruising the heel of the woman. Of the son of the woman was accomplished. In his death on the cross, it's implied there. It's not fully stated, but but uh, you, uh, you read it, and it, and if Adam and if Adam and Eve sinned, so that they incurred the penalty of death, the only way that they could be restored was if that penalty was satisfied and taken away. And that's implied there in the, in the serpent's bruising his heel, for truly his heel was bruised when he suffered on the cross. But in the process of bruising his heel, Satan's head would be crushed. And so we read there: death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O grave. Oh death, where is your sting? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 54, and 55. Which uh, cites, uh, is cited there from Isaiah chapter 25, verses 8 and Hosea 13, verse 14. So when the scribes and the Pharisees demanded a sign of Jesus that the proof of His being the anticipated Messiah there in Matthew chapter 13, 38, Jesus said There's no, there will be no sign given it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. And we say, well, yeah, but Jesus did all these other things. He had miracle after miracle, sign after sign all around him. But wait a minute, we're talking not an official. They were asking for an official sign. They couldn't couldn't ignore the fact that he was performing all these other miracles, but they wanted an official sign. And Jesus said, you're only going to get one official sign, and that's the sign of Jonah the prophet, who was three days and three nights in the fish's belly. So must the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah didn't die. But Jesus did, and and Jesus introduced that by saying, "An an evil and an adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah." There in uh, ver- in Matthew uh, twenty, uh, Matthew twelve, verses thirty nine and forty. So now the, resu- the resurrection was also prefigured in the Old Testament by the deliverance of, of Isaac from Mount Moriah. Remember, God told him, you go up on the mountain and you're going to sacrifice your son. And he laid the wood on his shoulder, which, Isaiah, uh, which excuse me, Isaac carried up to Mount Moriah. And then he made, prepared the altar, laid out the wood... Isaac submitted himself to it and laid upon the wood and Abraham was ready to take the knife and kill his son when the angel stopped him. And even Abraham understood. He said, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And so over here in the thicket was a ram caught by the horns which was offered in isaac's place again the typology of christ the lamb of god being offered up in the place of isaac and then but but then what happened abraham and isaac walked together back off of mount moriah which was a type of the resurrection and that's proven there in in hebrews 11 verse 19 he referring to abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. When the two walked off Mount Moriah together. And then the New Testament makes the resurrection its central theme and essential element of the gospel. If you do not believe in the resurrection of Christ, you cannot be saved. There is no way for you to be a born-again person if you do not believe that Jesus was physically raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-4. to 4. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you also received, and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I I preach to you unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Notice, according to the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the foundation of our justification. Romans four twenty four and 25 says, It will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, who was delivered up for our transgressions and was raised for our justification. Well, now we want to look at the passages before us and we read this, the verses there from 1938 to 42. The urgent burial. I just want to give a, a couple of things here with respect to this. First, this is where we closed last week's message. And I want to emphasize again that Jesus' life was not taken from Him. He was not killed. He didn't die of natural causes or murder in this case. <laughs> Execution. Although he was put into the hands of lawless men to be crucified, he was also fully in charge of his suffering and death, as is clearly evident by his, his demeanor and the things that he said from the cross. He was oppressed and afflicted, But it was the Lord who laid on him the iniquity of us all, according to Isaiah 53, verse 6. And when he knew that he had fully satisfied the justice of God, having made his soul an offering for sin, Isaiah 53, and verse 10, Jesus bowed his head. See, naturally, you would give up the ghost, and in in that process, your head would fall. Jesus didn't do that. He first bowed his head, Then he yielded up the Spirit. Surrendered his life. As he had previously stated, I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. That's John 10, 17 and 18. Isaiah also had prophesied, They made his grave with the wicked, And with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. That's Isaiah 53 9. So now John is going to explain how this prophecy is fulfilled. We're informed here that Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Christ. He's here referred to as a secret disciple for fear of the Jews. But now, this fear is gone. Isn't that amazing? God can take away your... You say, I'm afraid to witness Jesus Christ. Trust the Lord. He can take that fear away from you. As He did here with Joseph. He goes boldly to Pilate now. And ask for the body of Christ. Now th- this is what's interesting about this is that uh, normally, bodies of uh, crucified criminals were handed back to the families of those criminals to be buried in their own family plots. Jesus was not executed as a criminal. He was a, an insurrectionist. He was an enemy of the state. The rules of the Roman government was enemies of the state were not given proper burial. They could not be put in a tomb. They had to be taken outside the city and literally thrown into a common grave, a dump, if you please, for sacrilege, for further sacrilege. But here again, you see the great the power of God in this, in that Pilate willingly released the body of Jesus to a man that was not even a member of his family, in spite of the fact that he had been crucified as an insurrectionist. You wonder what was in Pilate's mind. We're not told, but I, I, I suppose that he did it as kind of a final snub Against the Jewish authorities, he was a he was a good judge, and he knew that Jesus had not committed anything worthy of uh, crucifixion. He was not an insurrectionist. Yes, he was a king, but he was no threat to the Roman Empire, as Jesus assured him. So this is it's it, it to me. It's amazing how God works in men. And so this cowardly disciple Joseph suddenly takes courage and acts with decisive boldness to approach Pilate to request and then take away the body of Jesus. But he's not alone, for he's joined by another member of the Sanhedrin, Nicodemus. We, he was introduced to us back in chapter 3 and told, you're not even going to see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Nicodemus didn't understand that at that time. But I think he eventually came to understand what it was all about. And I think it's proved here because he brings the burial spices. Seventy-five pounds worth. He had previously spoken uh, to, uh, to defend Jesus openly when officials were upset by the failure of the temple officers to have brought Jesus back to them when they sent Him out to arrest Him. They came back empty-handed. And they said, Why why didn't you bring Him? And they said, Nobody has spoken like this man. They sneered. The Pharisees sneered back. Says, Have you also been deceived? We haven't been deceived. (laughs) Oh, yes, you have. You fellows are in the in the grips of deception. But uh, at that point, Nicodemus interjected. He says, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? You know, I think God was awakening in Nicodemus the truth of Jesus Christ. And he's seeing it on display here. But he also received a contemptuous response. Are you from Galilee also? Search and see! No prophet ever arises from Galilee. Well, they didn't obviously understand that Jesus didn't come from Galilee. He came from Bethlehem of Judea as prophesied by Micah 5, 5. No, the gracious God moved these men, to step out of the darkness of fear and to emerge into the light of faith and obedience. Has Christ moved you to faithful obedience to His will? See, this is the point of this section of John. It's It really isn't so much to describe the resurrection of Jesus Christ as it is to see the effect of that resurrection on individuals that are associated with it so john also then gives details about christ's burial which are unique to his gospel isaiah has the servant of yahweh and turned as we read earlier in a rich man's grave i believe that belonged to joseph of arimathea although we're not told But there is an apocryphal gospel of Peter that does tell us that Joseph of Arimathea owned the garden and the tomb that was in the garden. So here is a new tomb, brand new tomb. It can't be a family tomb in which other people are laid either. He has to be all by himself. And John notes here that Joseph was a rich man. But uh, now, and and here's another, I think, interesting aspect of it. It's nearing sundown. And this is important because Passover, the Passover Sabbath was to begin at sundown that evening. They could not, the, the Jews made it clear to Pilate, these men can't remain on the cross. That would be a sacrilege to our holy days. So they were, they were sent and then sent the, the uh, soldiers there to break the legs of, the, of those who were s- still alive so that they would die before sundown. But Jesus was already dead. So now they've got to get Jesus buried before sundown as well. The other two were probably thrown over in, into that uh, common grave, just outside the city, in the in the valley of Hinnom, where Jesus gets the the term Gehenna, where their fire is not quenched, and the worm dies not, and the fire is not quenched. The dump, as if you please. So. The nearness of the tomb here was was also important, as was the fact that no one was ever laid there. An issue that the Jews would never have buried a crucified man in an occupied grave. More importantly, when the resurrection morning came, the tomb was empty. Nobody in it. That brings us then to the first day of the week. That the resurrection is vital to the gospel. Truth is proven by the allegations of discrepancies. Unbelievers try to inject into the account. Of all of the supposed conflicts in the scripture, the resurrection of Jesus is foremost. They throw out all kinds of things that, that Ma- Matthew doesn't agree with Luke and Luke doesn't agree with Matthew and, Ma- and neither Matthew or Luke or Mark agree with John that there's all kinds of confusion. There's not. There is none. None at all. The problem here is although a fully satisfying expl- explanation evades the reader, we, 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 we think we can sort it out but we don't really know for sure. But that's not the important thing. Our lack of understanding here is the issue. And it's not the veracity of the word of God. It's only our failure to understand it. For the sake of understanding, just a word of explanation then I'm going to offer here. And in the final analysis, one must trust the overwhelming evidence substantially set forth in the scriptures. As their claim to be the very word of God, so John's account begins with Mary, Mary magdalene here's what's what's interesting about this is that uh, we don't really understand how Jewish writers write either because oftentimes Jewish writers use one individual to cover for several individuals who are involved. So, it appears from reading John that Mary Magdalene came by herself. But when we read Matthew and Luke, we read that there were other women who also came with her. But the fact that John doesn't name them doesn't mean that John's wrong, and he does not state that she came alone. One of the things that's, that's argued is that she left to, uh, to her home to go to the tomb while it was still dark. Whereas, you read Matthew, when it was dawn, they came to the tomb. Well, what's, what's the problem there? Nothing. Because she left her home, it was dark. When she got to the tomb, it was light. I mean, uh, that's obvious. And the fact that there were other women, and the fact uh, uh, Matthew, tell, uh, Matthew tells us that there, the other Mary, there was another Mary that came along, and Mark identifies that other Mary as the mother of James and Salome, as does Luke, or, or Matthew does later in the in the passage. Their mission then was to bring spices to the to the grave, and when they arrived. They found the stone rolled away and the grave empty. So according to Matthew's account, then they they, they they looked into the tomb and saw the the angels who announced that the Savior was written. Luke adds Joanna and the and other women to the party. So but where's the contradiction? here's what I believe. The women left their homes in the dark, arrived at the grave at dawn. John chose to ignore the angels completely, not deny them. And here's what I think happened. Mary Magdalene came to the grave, saw that the stone was rolled away, and immediately assumed that Jesus was not in it, and turned immediately and ran back to the house to find Peter and John. Leaving the other women there at the tomb, they looked in, they saw the angels, who said Jesus is not here and has gone. So they left. And in the the meantime, Mary Magdalene came back. So another supposed discrepancy is the claim that John believed that Jesus was risen when he saw the grave clothes. So we have Peter coming to the tomb and John. John outran him. He was younger. The problem here is that John does not say that he believes. He, Peter looked in, saw the grave clothes. This, I think this is an important point. Mary said they've taken the body of Jesus away. When Peter and John looked in, they said, "Wait a minute, we got a problem here. The grave clothes are still here." You don't take a body away without having it still wrapped in the grave clothes. So they didn't know what, but uh, John uh, John says after Peter came in that he, that then the, that uh, John himself came in. And he saw the same thing and he believed. Now, what did he believe? This is the question. I think he believed what Mary had claimed. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. Now, I would argue that uh, uh, R.C. Sproul has stated that uh, he believed that John believed that Jesus was risen because he saw the grave clothes. I don't know. But verse 9 supports, I think, the explanation that they didn't understand it. See, it's a, It states that they didn't understand it, yet the scripture is that he must rise from the dead. The fact that sin-hardened hearts are always looking for reasons to escape the witness of their own conscience to the truth. So John, John's purpose was to Describe the effect of the resurrection on these individual followers of Christ, and what the tra- what transformation His appearance to them wrought on them. And that will be later in the passage here for Peter and John. But Mary Magdalene, this the next one. Each one of them was engulfed with some kind of a human emotion. With Mary, it was grief. She loved her Lord amazingly. She followed him in his whole earthly ministry. By the way, she was not a prostitute, as some have claimed. She was a very wealthy woman, but she was also a woman out of whom Christ cast seven devils. We don't know what her history was, but we know one thing, Christ delivered her and she was profoundly grateful. With the disciples, it was fear. They were shut up in their little corner. They were afraid of what was going to happen next. With Thomas, it was doubt. But Jesus appears to each of these in their respective conditions. Those appearances resulted in the liberation. Of them from these conditions, Mary was joyfully set on a mission to announce his appearing. The disciples were filled with confidence, and and Thomas's doubts were turned to faith. So, how has the resurrection changed your life? So let's look at Mary here. Lastly, Mary Magdalene was the first to see the risen Lord it's interesting there were no witnesses to jesus resurrection nobody saw him get up from the grave the tomb was sealed an angel came and rolled that stone away i think after jesus was raised from the dead no there were no eyewitnesses of the actual resurrection and all of the gospels deal only with post-resurrection events. John opens his account with a time reference. It was the first day of the week and I believe that's a, there's an importance for that too. All four gospels use this expression as a time reference to the resurrection and and to mark here something as begin as a new beginning, we got something new going on here. And in its connection with the Sabbath, we have a new Sabbath. A new Sabbath rest. Marked by the finish of God's creative work there in in, uh, Exodus chapter 20 verse 11 says, In six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that was in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore God blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. But now we've got a new situation developing. A new day of rest to mark the finish of Christ's redemptive work. And I believe that explains why all of a sudden the church is worshiping the first day of the week. Resurrection Sunday. Mary's prominence appears in all four gospel accounts as well. And interestingly, a woman's witness to Evidence was never admissible in Jewish courts. Who is the first to witness the resurrected Christ but a woman? (laughs) To me, that's interesting. D.A. Carson observes, thoughtful Christians will remember that God delights in those, uh, excuse me, that God delights to choose what the world deems foolish in order to shame the wise so that, no one may boast before him. She came early while it was dark, which I think was in keeping with John's light and darkness symbolism. But did Mary come alone? And that we've already addressed that to some degree. But I, I do want to point out to you that if you'll notice in verse 2, Mary reporting to the disciples said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid Him, not I. Which clearly tells us that there were others involved. She was in front of the other women. She saw the stone removed. It alarmed her. She supposed that the body had been removed or been stolen or that it had been uh, uh, removed to start the rumor that would combat the claim of his rising the third day remember the jews said uh, we went they said uh, to the officers look he told us he's going to ra- be raised the third day they have a problem they were set there to guard that tomb jesus came out of that tomb alive After they had fallen asleep. What uh, what does the military do with guards that fall asleep? <laughs> They're put to death. So the Jews said, look, we're, we got your back. Here's what you tell the people. The disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if it comes to the ears of the, uh, of the uh, military... Officers, we'll uh, take care of it. We're going to use a little bribe money and you'll get off. And, it, and then we read here of that, uh, this is Matthew 28, 13 to 15. And it, says in, and it closes by saying, And this story has been spread among the Jews to this very day. His disciples came, took him away, He didn't really uh, rise from the dead. So the revelation of 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 the empty tomb then prompted her to immediately return and seek out the disciples. Thus, she missed witnessing the angels, which the other women witnessed. She also came back to the tomb after the other women left and returned. And then upon hearing Mary's news, Peter and John ran to the tomb, and upon entering the tomb, they confirmed the concern of Mary the body was gone. However, they also observed the grave clothes were still in place where Christ had lain, but the face cloth folded and by itself in another place. And here's what, to me, is an interesting thing. John uses four different Greek words that are translated to see in this very passage. One term means to discern something in view. Mary saw the tomb was empty. She she looked at it and saw something and discerned that it was empty. One term simply means to inspect something. So John here has the linen clothes. Talks about the linen clothes. They saw the linen clothes lying. They're inspecting. Ah, yeah, linen clothes. And then the the head cloth folded and laying in another place. Then one term means to perceive something. John saw and concluded that Mary's report was correct. So the two men filled in the legal requirement to serve as eyewitnesses to the scene. Isn't that interesting? In the mouth of two witnesses males see mary's testimony is not acceptable but john's and peter's are so again what did mary believe well or did john believe i believed he believed mary's account a w pink sees the moral significance in that no one can be saved or or see the risen Lord simply by stooping down and looking into a sepulchre. Self-examination and introspection do not bring faith in victorious living. Only grace does. Nothing is mentioned about communicating with Mary as they exited, as they exited the tomb. They just went home and left Mary alone to grieve. So what happened to Mary then outside the tomb she stooped to look in and saw two angels she didn't she didn't even recognize they were angels she thought they were somebody in that tomb and she, so she said where they said ask her where why are you weeping and she replied to them they've taken away the, my lord and I do not know where they have laid him at that point she turns and sees Jesus but Jesus she didn't recognize him either and why I think this was due to a, to his resurrected ability to conceal himself. He can go through walls without opening doors. <laughs> the resurrected Christ is an amazing thing. And remember the, on the road to Emmaus, the two disciples, Jesus joined with them, and they didn't recognize him either until he broke bread and opened their eyes. Well, the same thing is happening here at the tomb with Mary turns; She turns and sees him there, and she supposed he was the gardener. Remember, it's a garden. And he asked her the same question. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she asked him where he had taken the body so that she might recover it. And I think this request affirms that she was a woman of both wealth and influence. So then Jesus fully reveals herself to Mary by calling her name mary mary the good shepherd calls his own sheep by name and they follow him for they know his voice john 10:3 and 4 when she heard her name and understood that it was jesus Ecstasy of joy overwhelmed her. And she fell at his feet. And I believe clutched his, his his ankles. Very tightly. And Jesus responds, don't cling to me. I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers. Notice, go to my brothers. Not to the disciples, to my brothers. And tell them... I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. What news? See, I don't think Jesus had yet presented Himself before the mercy seat in heaven to complete His sacrificial work. To sprinkle the blood, so to speak, on the mercy seat. In addition, He had he had a mission for her. Mary, go. And tell my brothers, I'm alive. I'm alive. What do we learn? The core of New Testament hope is the resurrection of Christ. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Philippians three ten and 11, Paul regarded all things as lost, he says, so that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, become like Him in His death, that by any means I may attain a resurrection from the dead. And in Romans 1, 4, he, Paul wrote about Jesus that, that He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. So an encounter with the living Christ has a dramatic effect that radically changes one's life. If you're going to be saved, you're going to have this encounter with Jesus. It may not be something that you that's particularly explosive. It's not going to be visions and dreams. It's but it will be a real working of the living, resurrected Christ in your heart, making you one of His. Faith is not self-generated, but God brought through the understanding of Scripture. He did not yet understand the Scriptures, it says. But if you're going to be born again of, of the Spirit of God, it's the Spirit of God must open your eyes to understand it. Real faith is not static. But emotional. But beware of emotion that's not faith generated. And then secondly, beware of a faith that is not expressed in joy-filled love for Christ. Got the two extremes. Some of them think that their emotion is the issue. And then we have others that say, oh no, I, I don't have any emotion at all. But I just believe. <laughs> Both are wrong. Both are wrong. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to consider this tremendous truth from John. He is alive. And as he called Mary's name, oh, Lord, may he call our names. We belong to him. Lord, we hear his voice. We follow him. We know him. And I pray that if there's one here in this audience that does not know him, that you will bring that one to yourself even now. Oh, that we may be like Mary and fall at his feet in adoration and worship and then immediately to respond in obedience to go and spread the news. We'll praise you and thank you for it in Jesus' name.